boys in the huddle podcast it's ricky trey and doe we're back for another episode and we got a very special guest in the building we got the associate athletic director of unlv on the show mr marcus bowman what's going on brother What's going on, fam? How you been? We doing good, man. Appreciate you hopping on. We nah, also having me. Uh, absolutely also got Jason on and Dante, typical yes, members of the Boys in the Huddle podcast. What's going on, fellas? Looking forward to this one. Yeah, this should definitely be a good one. So we got Mr. Marcus Bowman on, and we wanted to do this. Matter of fact, let's give him some horns. Horns for Mr. Bowman. So we wanted to bring you on primarily to show people that there's other routes. So it's a sports podcast. We talk about players. We talk about coaches. But you're an associate athletic director at UNLV. And we're going to get into what that actually means, what your duties are. But we want to get into what the pathway looks like. Because whether or not you know you know this you're a hero in the community because that's a hell of an accomplishment. And we want to let you know that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. But how do you get there? I think what we lack a lot of times in the community is lack of information. Yeah. So we want to start with your route, provide that information to the people. And we're going to try to keep this one clean so we can share it with, with the parents and they can share it with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try. Well, um, well, originally from Columbia, South Carolina, born and raised, um, was uh, blessed and fortunate to be um, raised in a household that first and foremost valued education mm. um, before any and everything. Um, uh, as you know, T, uh, got one older brother and uh, a loving mom and, and a dad, and uh, they instilled a lot in us growing up. Um, and it started with education and, and loving one another. Um, but as two young, active boys, um, similar to probably a lot of other uh, young boys around around the country and around the world, you know, we were active in sports growing up. Um, I, I love, particularly love basketball and baseball and golf. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was hold, 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 and, hold on, hold on, hold on, golf. How did you get introduced to golf? So I actually got introduced to golf through my dad. Um, so my dad was an avid golfer, mm. uh, played a lot couple times a week he was a scratch golfer i mean my dad would play in tournaments you know in south carolina win some come home with trophies and so that was one of the things that he got both me and my brother in when we were really young i mean my dad would tell you that the first time i saw a golf club i was probably four or five years old so i was really really young damn he would have me out there and and candidly i wish i would have took golf a lot more serious um Mm. through elementary and then kind of in middle school i was playing a decent amount and, you know, going into high school, just like everybody else, I had these hoop dreams and, you know, love basketball and kind of took more of that route. But really, golf was something that, you know, I think I had a natural ability and a natural talent for and started off at a young age. And we were also fortunate where we lived close to an Army base, Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina. And my mom worked okay. there. And there were two golf courses on there that you could play those golf courses for literally like a dollar fifty for nine holes if you walk the holes. So typically when you think about a golf, dollar fifty for nine $1. holes. 50. 
Phenom, wow. Snowline. Uh, this is back, you know, this is back in the early 90s. But, but still, yeah. you know, even even as time went on, I mean, you could still play $5, $10, even if you rent carts. And, uh, you know, most people, when you think about golf, obviously, it's a privileged sport, or that's typically what people think. They think country clubs and that. And so being able to have access to golf courses was was really, really important. So uh, my dad got us out there at a pretty young age, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I wish I would have played it a lot more. So what are you shooting today? What is your game so looking like now? And today, man, I'll be I'll be lucky if I'm shooting in the in the 90s on 18 holes. Man, if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm if I'm breaking 100, uh, I I looked at it as a as a positive. But I've been telling myself for the last few years that I got to get back out there, man. I I really do want to. I want to get back to playing playing a lot and shooting in the 80s and maybe in the 70s, man. Ooh. So keep, keep keep the lookout, man. I'll, I'll come I'll come on here again next year. And, uh, yeah, we need an update. I'm, Jason, Jason, Jason and Dante, do y'all play? Do y'all play golf? Yeah, I played. I started in college. I had to play. Um, I I used to play back then. And then um, I haven't played in about five years. Um, But then you don't play. But then you don't play. The most I've I've done was uh, (laughs) this driving range. How about you, Dante? In the last three years. No. I I mean, it was a requirement. In, in college and but I, I didn't I didn't carry forward with it and you know in hindsight I should have definitely good especially in the business world to you know have that in your toolkit I got clubs that I never use and, and, and I always look at them and say one right, day I'm use right. I had played golf for a year about two years ago like I made a commitment to try to pick up golf and I was sore as I've ever been in my life <laughs> after playing golf for the first time like you think it's not a sport and that you know it's not a real workout but you're working out muscles that you never had before golf yeah. will work you out man golf will no work doubt. you out but it's a humbling sport it's a humbling sport it is you know people would like michael jordan with the game he's been chasing the perfection of golf all his life he's never going to get there like golf is the most challenging sport there is Without a doubt. But that's one thing that we want to just just touch on when we're talking about uh, getting involved in sports from a business aspect or just business in general. Golf is very, very important. A lot of deals get done on the golf course. And if you can play, that's going to take you a long way. But not to cut you off there, but I did. Um, <laughs> but as a child, what did you play? Baseball? You played golf? You played basketball? Um, yeah, so played uh, baseball, basketball, golf. Um, you know, a lot of other sports. You know, playing around in the neighborhood. I dabbled in tennis one year. That, that didn't go so well. Okay. Um, and then my brother, he was heavy and heavier in the football. He went on to play college football at the University of Missouri. But as a, um, as a youth, I think there was one really big game that let you know you could do anything in this world once you were able to be a victor in this this matchup. Do you know which matchup I'm talking about? Of course, I know what matchup <laughs> you're talking about. Why don't you why don't you why don't you enlighten why don't you enlighten your two friends on the matchup that you're referring to? <sighs> well, you know, it was always this big talk about Marcus and his brother versus me and my brother. And as y'all know, we from Jersey. This is an East Coast mentality that we're going to be better than these country bumpkins. 
<laughs> right or wrong. I mean, that's just that's just our mentality, how we think. So we had this big game set up. Now, mind you, we're in South Carolina. We're on their home court. <laughs> and they won the game. They won Wait, the game. Um, this was seventh grade. Yeah, how old were we, fam? We was. Like, I was yeah, in like seven. You must have been in six. Yeah. 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 Okay. So now, Jason, you remember when you had health class and you wasn't playing basketball like that <laughs> every day? You remember when we had health for that period, in and then you wasn't grade. playing. And we remember we had health, and we wasn't going to gym, and we wasn't playing that much. And this was before <laughs> the season started. <laughs> Oh shit! So, <laughs> hey man, man. There you go. later, man. It's still excuses, man. His, That's crazy. I held my own. His brother, his really. brother, was kicking my brother's ass. That's really what was going on. <laughs> now Marcus could play clearly, but I felt like I was. I probably had. If we, it was, we probably lost seven to eleven. I probably yeah, had six of the points. Keep the play. Jamal wasn't doing shit. <laughs> and, and his brother was like Oakley slash Pippin at the time. It was just a massacre. But um, I think that I think that victory let you know you could do anything in this world once you once you were able did. to take that that crown. You know, it did. It did. <laughs> it, 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 set, it set me up. It set me up on a hopeful path. Of exactly. And, still, I, and let's keep I in mind, they didn't want to give us a rematch. They took their win and ran. So we were also were going to touch on that too, but uh, hey, we'll... Jordan, man, I'm undefeated. I'm undefeated in the finals. Why I need to play again? You got to give a man a chance to win again. You got to give a man his rematch. But we'll move on. So now you moved to high school. What did the high school career look like? Basketball? Did yeah. you play baseball? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So mostly strictly focused on basketball in high school. Um, play baseball a little bit in my ninth grade year, and. Uh, from a basketball perspective, I was really fortunate to be to play on some really, really good teams. I played JV my freshman and sophomore year, but then my junior and senior year played varsity. Um, left the school as the all-time winningest point guard in school history. Um, mm. Played play with some with two, with a lot of really good players, but two guys that went on to play Division One. also. Uh, we only lost five games in two years as juniors and seniors. Unfortunately, one of those was my last game, my senior year. We lost in the state championship mm. on a buzzer on a buzzer beater. So mm. that one, that one still, that one still stinks. It still, hard. it has to. It, it oh, has to. always, it always stinks hard. Anytime I go home, I think about it. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, so it was you know some good teams. I wasn't, I wasn't the star by any means, but certainly was a a, a really good high school player and a, and a key part to the team. Um, as it relates to, you know, what my options were as I was late in my high school career, uh, I didn't get into AAU basketball until that last summer going into my senior year. So, uh, I played let me, a let me, bit let me stop you there that. because when we were going up, the AAU thing wasn't as big as it is today or nah. it was going on, but it wasn't like our parents knew we need to get our kids involved in this if they're at a certain level. Do you think if it was around and you were playing year round, that would have had any kind of effect or impact on your next step? I, I think I think it would. I mean, it was to your point. It wasn't what it was to what it is today, but it was 
you know, it was it was important and it was it was kind of getting there, I guess you could say, in the late nineties, early two thousands, which is right around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, now with these it's so different now with the shoe companies being so much more or particularly recently being so much more involved with elite camps and things of that nature. Um, but so yeah, I didn't play AAU as much and certainly as much as I would have, I would have liked. Um, so my, you know, I, I had an opportunity to go and play at some division two schools for basketball and some small D ones where I was getting some looks, but candidly, I didn't want to. I didn't really want to go to like a small college, and I haven't. I don't have anything. I remember you college, were but. looking at Hampton at one time. I do remember yeah, that. Hampton. Howard. Howard was the school I was. I was looking at, um, but I, I kind of wanted a, a bigger college experience. And going back to what I talked about in terms of having parents and a still education, um, I had good grades in high school. I did well on the, you know, on the standardized test scores, and so I had options from an academic standpoint. And kind of what my thought was was, you know, I want to go to I want to go to the school that I want to go to, even if basketball is not in the picture. Now, if I can somehow loop basketball into that, then that's going to make the experience even that much greater. But I didn't want to go to some school just for basketball, and if I didn't like the experience, now I'm stuck at a school that I don't I don't want to be at. Right. And so, uh, I got a letter actually from the University of Pittsburgh. It was, it was actually fairly, I would say it was fairly late in my senior year, probably like January or something like that. And, you know, it was an application. And candidly, man, it was the last place I would have ever thought about going. I was like, yeah, I don't want to go to, to Pittsburgh. Like, I didn't know anything about Pittsburgh except the Steelers, right? So I was like, I ain't going Especially to being from South Carolina where it's hot. Especially being from South Carolina. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going there. And But my mom actually convinced me to fill it out. It was, a, it was actually a fairly easy application. And then... I filled it out and submitted all the information, and uh, they offered me a full academic scholarship. Uh, wow! To so this was all yeah. based off of them sending you information through the mail. Yep, they sent me a letter and an application, and then I filled it out along with transcripts, and I, you know, I had to write like an essay, and uh, you know, there was probably. You know, it's probably trying to reach some quotas back then, maybe. But no, like, no, no, no. Like, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we, we're not going to downplay right. a full academic ride. It's, you earn that. We ain't going to no, do no, that. No, no, no. I appreciate. I appreciate that. But and, and certainly, I, I worked hard to earn that. So I'll never let anybody take that away from me. But um, uh, so any anyway, of So you know, once I got that letter, I mean, everybody's mind was made up. It was like, you know, what I'm saying, it was like, well. We gotta get you some warm clothes and some thick socks, brother. <laughs> if we ain't got to pay, then to you go right? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So, and ironically, this was it, it, actually right around that time, 2001, 2002, was when Pitt basketball was hitting their stride. So it, that actually kind of made it even more intriguing. Hmm. And you know, I thought I'm, you know, I knew I could play basketball, whether or not they wanted another person on the team. Uh, who knew? But like I said, you know, when I get up there. I'll, um, you know, I'll see what's going on with the basketball team and, and we'll go from there. So that's what led me, that's what led me to, to choose Pitt. Okay. Did you visit the campus before you made the decision or you just, you got the scholarship and you just went for it? I did actually. So yeah, I appreciate you asking that. I, so when I got the information and they offered the scholarship, the next step was to take a visit to campus. And so we did that and I, I fell in love with the campus because it was a different 
it was a different campus. It was a it's an urban campus. If you've ever been to Pitt's campus, you know, Pitt is a right dope in, city in a in a dope college town. Yeah. For those that don't know, yeah, 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 and it kind of it kind of got it's kind of got that best of both worlds. You kind of it's it's an urban campus where you know downtown is close by. And you got some really nice neighborhoods, but when you're on campus, you feel like you're on campus. So you know you kind of get that best of both worlds in terms of certain campuses that you get on in rural areas. But you also kind of had the urban, you know, the urban vibe. So I, I really liked it. And so uh, I fell in love with it. Um, it wasn't the only school that I visited. I did also visit Howard. I visited Virginia Tech. I visited Georgia Tech. Um, was that academic at, or sports or both? What was other? It visits? was actually so. Howard was Howard was sports. Uh, Virginia Tech was academics, but I met with the basketball staff when I was there. Um, Georgia Tech was academics. Um, University of Miami was another school that I strongly considered, but they they didn't um, uh, they didn't quite offer enough money, and I never went and actually went down there, and it was just a really expensive school. Mm, okay. um, so yeah, so I settled in on Pitt, and you know I visited there and fell in love with the campus. So Brandon Knight was there, then, right? He was, he was, yeah. Brandon yeah. was. Uh, so my freshman year was Brandon's senior year, and um, Brandon and I were, were really, really close. He was actually uh, a groomsman in my wedding, and and you know, I wasn't. But we're not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was at he was at he was at the bachelor party though. Oh uh, yeah, I definitely was. He wasn't there though. He wasn't there. He was supposed to be. He was supposed to be there. That's right. Yeah, he was supposed to be there, but he uh, was. He was definitely there. It was a good time. It was a good time. <laughs> but um, did you have another question, Jason? Because I know you do the AAU thing, and we talked about it not being as prevalent back then. What do you see the difference today, being an AAU coach, and when we were growing up? What's the big difference? Well, I think like once you put the sneaker companies in it. Um, then it just, you know, cause AAU was still prevalent back then, but now it's like the sneaker companies, the circuits, um, it's, you know, it's completely changed the scope of recruiting. So and I think that's the biggest change. So you think it's the sneaker company's involvement is the biggest yeah, difference yeah, yeah. and they just poured so much money into it yeah, that yeah. it just blew up. It's crazy. So now you're at Pittsburgh. You did you have to try out for the team? Or how was that process actually getting on the basketball team when once you got there? So when I got there, um, reached out to the to the coaching staff. Um, you know, told them who I was and had a chance to meet with one of the assistant coaches and my high school coach. You know, sent some film and they said, "Oh, it looks like you know he can, you know he can play." They said, "We may have, we may." have one walk-on spot that we might be considering, but, you know, he had to go through a tryout. And so, like, cool, that's all I need is a chance. And so they had an actual tryout. It wasn't big. It was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 guys, 12 guys. It wasn't a lot. Um, but it was, I mean, it, was a, it was a pretty long, long day and went through a bunch of different drills, played some three-on-three, mm. played a little five-on-five. Five. And, uh, so that was it. You didn't, you know, they didn't tell you anything right then and there. And then the next day I got a call and say, Hey, uh, why don't you come up to the, come up to the gym? We want you to uh, meet with the head coach and we want to put you, have you be a part of the team. So what did that um, feel like? That had to be a victory. 
You know, man, I had to feel man, Honestly, man, it was it was it was unbelievable, man. Like, um, because you know, you, you obviously you hope that all these things are gonna come true, and you start to, uh, you know, you start to hype yourself up, but to actually get that call and say, "Hey, we want to have you be a part of." A division one division one team and not just any division one team i mean that, that year we literally were preseason picked to win the big east and like mm. I, you know i'm talking as you guys probably know i mean i'm talking big east when it was like big east big east like real man, big was, east yeah right. and it was us it was us and yukon and syracuse and villanova i mean you came to a couple of those games in philly fam so i mean like it was it was real it was real stuff so uh, obviously, it was a it was a great day, and I ironically I remember calling my dad and telling him, and just hearing his excitement and really just how proud he was, you know, because he was just thinking like, you know, you said that you were gonna do it, and you put your mind to it, and and now it now it transpired. So, uh, so yeah, went there with the coach, and uh, you know, uh, was was on the team, and honestly, it was the best four years of my life for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, as it relates to playing basketball, obviously playing at the highest level, traveling all over the country, playing with some unbelievable players, playing against some unbelievable players from, you know, Carmelo Anthony to Dwayne Wade. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, these are all guys that, you know, I got to see firsthand and, and uh, from the bench. So let, me, let, me <laughs> let me ask you this. You, you got a full academic scholarship. You walk on to the basketball team. You still have to go through the same rigors of being a college athlete, right? Like, what were there any challenges there from an academic sports back and forth yeah. and trying to juggle too? Yeah, there were, man. And, um, you know, I had to main, I had to maintain a certain GPA to keep my scholarship. So I had to maintain a, at least a three point GPA to keep to keep my scholarship, or it could be taken away, right? So, like, think about just like without basketball, just think about that pressure of like. Hey, if your scholarship, I mean, if your GPA drops, you lose your scholarship, you could be on your way home. So that, that was a level of pressure. And then obviously suddenly adding the basketball. And as a walk-on, you know, you were required to do everything that all the scholarship guys did. So, I mean, obviously, I was at practice every day. I had to do all the weight training. I had to do all the film sessions. But here's what I would say about when I was a college athlete. It actually helped me with my academics because it, it taught me the importance of um, time management and like mm. I didn't have I didn't have that like I would see other friends that didn't play sports they would have almost too much free time on their hands and not know how to manage their time and just that was me that was me whatever you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was you and Hampton so and like, Temple right and Temple so like you know I, you know, our schedules was, you know, pretty regimented and you had a certain number of study hours that you had to get in. So it actually helped me develop some good study habits early on. And, you know, there was also, you know, there was also a lot of resources that you had access to as an athlete, whether it was tutors and um, computer labs and things of that nature that certainly were very, very beneficial. But in terms of the time demands, man, it wasn't no joke, man. Like, I mean, between practices and traveling and games and and weights and 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 film, I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a big time commitment. So I I, I fully empathize and I understand. It was, it was one of the and I know we'll get into this more too, but it was one of the reasons why I went into the field that I did because you know 
I want to not only be able to give back and help these young men and women from all different walks of life grow, uh, but I understand what they went through, mm, you know, so right. I can I can be there to, to help them through stuff. I can also call BS on them when they're telling me that they can't do things. They're like, nah, bro. <laughs> like, I know you can do that. Like, you can't hit me with the, you're too busy. Nah, you're not too busy. Um, because I, because I did it. So you can't hit me with that. So, 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 yeah, so those you know, four years were great. Yep. You met your beautiful wife going strong today. So we're happy you didn't go to Miami. We're happy you didn't go to Howard. You were supposed to go to Pittsburgh. That was supposed to happen. Two beautiful kids. If you had anything to do different, would there be anything that you might do different? Not a damn thing, man. I wouldn't have have done anything different. I wouldn't trade the experience that I have, anything. I'd have, I'd have packed some I'd have packed some warmer clothes my freshman year and been ready for the cold weather better. <laughs> like, understanding that just because you got on, uh, uh, you know, certain sneakers or boots, but, uh, and you couldn't have on a T-shirt under a big coat. Like, I had to learn the lesson of layering in the North. But outside of that, man, I, would, I wouldn't change anything, man. It was an unbelievable experience. Awesome. So now you got your four years. It was great. Time to graduate. It's time to find a job. What were the options that led you to taking a position that you took? And like, what was your thought process after graduation and finding the path that you wanted to take? Right. So my, so I'll take you one step back. So the summer going into my senior year, uh, between my junior and senior year, you know, it's just, it's starting to get real, right? That's that time you starting to say, "Damn, like, I got to really start thinking about what's next after after this this college stuff, after this bubble that I'm living in." And I interned at a bank, I interned at PNC Bank, which is you know a, a national bank, so particularly big in the Northeast and headquartered in Pittsburgh. And uh, it was because I was a finance undergrad major, and and had a really really good experience there. Um. But going through that experience, I knew I didn't want to work in banking for the rest of my life. Like, I was just like, I don't want to be a banker mm. or, you know, working working banking. And I, I didn't work in a retail or a teller. I wasn't anything like that. I worked in their corporate office. Right. But it just wasn't something that I thought I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, and they offered me a job at the end of my internship. And I accepted the job, right? Because that's why you go to school. You go to school to get a job. So that was my options. I accepted the job. But really what I realized after that summer going into my last year was I always thought that if I could combine my my love and my passion, which had always been sports since a young, young age, and combine that with, you know, knowledge and, and things that I learned in school, that I could have what I would call a career and a profession and not just a job because mm. there's, a, there's a difference. A- like a job absolutely. Is, a job is I go to work. You know, I, I show up when you tell me to show up. I I, I go home. Clock in and give clock my out. Paycheck. Right. You get my paycheck. Where my benefits? You know, get my annual review. I'm good. You know, a, a career or a profession. You know, when you think about, you know, basketball players or or doctors or whatever. Like that's a passion, right? That's a love for that thing. Whatever it is that you're trying to do, lawyers, and so, um, you know, I knew and kind of going back and kind of how we started our conversation 
that sports is a billion dollar industry, dog. Mm -hmm. And everybody, everybody ain't bouncing the ball. Everybody ain't ain't coaching on the sideline. There's a lot of people that's behind the behind the scenes that's making this billion dollar machine go. Right. So whether you're talking about college athletics, which we all know is a billion dollar industry, whether you're talking about the NBA, the NFL, uh, Nike, or, or working at a stadium, or working at an arena, or working for a particular team. Like there's so many options. Now what I'll say is that it's hard to crack into. Like it ain't, it's a good old boys network, right? So like it's not like it's it's just like you just show up, you put your resume in for a job and then they call you. Like you gotta know somebody. So and and that's really what we want to hear. We want to hear the information because what yeah. you said, good old boys network. It's a good old boys network, for sure. How for does sure. so, so let me, I don't want to stop you there real quick. So okay. You were a part of the program. You're saying, and this is yes or no, if you weren't a part of the program, it had been other hurdles or challenges to be a part of the sports world, so to speak. Right? I mean, no question. No question, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, my, 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 my network, which, you know, I, I was going to get into, it kind of helped, helped set me up. Now, there's, there's obviously ways that you can try to be a part you know, programs and volunteer, and then you just work your way up. You got to grind just like with anything else. But I spent my, so I spent that whole last year, in addition to just doing a lot of research on like, all right, what, what really is the sports business? I actually wrote a couple of papers on kind of the billion dollar business that is sports and sports marketing, but what is the sports business? And so I, you know, I started learning a lot more about all those things that I mentioned, you know, collegiate sports and professional sports. But I also, once again, trying to make sure you take advantage of, you know, the network and the resources that you have. I met with a lot of administrators that worked in the athletic department. So I met with our AD. I met with, like, assistant ADs, associate ADs, our SWA. Because you had that access, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you had had the access, access, right. I had that access, right? But everybody didn't take advantage of the access that they had. Right, right. Whether they were still thinking that they was going to play overseas or they was going to do this or do that. And, you know, that wasn't never my goal. I mean, certainly if, if it would have been an opportunity, I would have loved it. But that wasn't that wasn't in the cards for me. So I was like, how am I going to use the same opportunity that, you know, the, the star player has or, you know, the guy that's, you know, scoring all points and make sure that it, that it benefits me. So in the course of all of those discussions and meetings with various different people in the athletic department, um, you know, they got to hear from me on, you know, I just, I just wanted an opportunity. I wanted to get in this sports business and kind of take it from there. And so I had actually fast forwarded all the way to graduation and right after graduation, me and my then girlfriend, now wife at the time, or girlfriend at the time, now wife, as you mentioned, we took a trip to Europe. Uh, took a just kind of like a graduation gift to ourselves. Like use our graduation money and went to Europe for a couple of weeks. I got an email while I was in Europe from one of the ladies that I met with, and she said, "Hey, a position just opened up in our business office. Um, would you be interested?" Mm. And now, mind you, remember I, I I had this job that I accepted to go work at the bank, and I was from PN, to start that it was job. PNC Bank, right? It was PNC Bank. Yeah, I was supposed mm-hmm. to go start that job within a month. A month and a half or something like that. It was it was soon, but obviously I wasn't gonna turn out this opportunity. So I said absolutely. So she said, "Hey, this is what you gotta do. You gotta apply and you know and interview and, and best of luck." And so went through the application. You know, I, I applied and then met with the 
the hiring manager and uh, went through the process and was fortunate to get that opportunity to start off um, in the business office at Pitt in athletics, basically helping kind of, you know, manage the budget and learning all about the finances and the ins and outs and learning about HR and, and ins and outs of hiring and that process. And so it was like an unbelievable start for me. But let me, start but let right me if, if I recall, the job at the bank was going to pay you more than it was the job at yeah. Pittsburgh, right? No doubt. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was probably, I probably took, I probably at least took fifteen, seventeen thousand dollars less to take the job. Wow! In that in athletics, and 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 I and I remember actually talking to one of the guys that I would have been working for at the bank, who at that time had become, you know, they become friends and mentors, you know. And I talked to him about it. He was like, "Look, man, you're gonna have a lot of time in your life to make money." You're not gonna have a lot of time in your life to do something that you love mm. for your for your alma mater. And he was like, and and I and I knew that like my upside, if I was ever able to get to the position where I want to get, I could be making a lot more money than what I was gonna make if I reach middle management or even senior management at a bank. Like you right. know what I'm saying? I knew I was gonna make more money. So and I'm you know I'm I'm 22. I ain't got no I ain't got no you know kids and none of that stuff. So I'm like you know now was the time. And so. Yeah, I made that decision, and it was, you know, best decision I made for sure. And that's very important because a lot of times, people would take the highest offer, and it may not be something that you want to do. You know what I mean? Right. You said you're 22 years old. You might be 23, 21, whatever, early 20s. If you have an opportunity to do something that you're passionate about, then it shouldn't be about the money at that point because you're going to have so many opportunities that can spawn from that yep. that at that age it needs to be about what are you really looking to do in life yep. and sure. I was always so proud that you took that route because most people would have took 20,000 mm-hmm. most people would have yeah. did that but you have to yep. do what you're passionate about especially at Absolutely. that time and you did that Absolutely. for sure I appreciate, I appreciate that yeah you're going to have plenty of opportunities to not only make your money, but also you, you, you know, as you get older in life, unfortunately you don't have the options to make those choices and not take the money as your responsibilities grow. Then you do have to make, start making decisions based on dollars and cents. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. You know, eliminate that hurdle when you can. So Dante, you took a pretty good position at Fannie Mae. Did you have that experience? Just curious coming out of college, did you have to weigh the, the pros and cons, different things like that? Yeah, I'm the opposite of Marcus on everything. Everything he said, like, yes, yeah, so I was a finance major. I had the offers for bank jobs. I wasn't necessarily passionate about um, some of the some of the offers I had. But yeah, when I took um, when I took that offer, it was a couple of things. One was, you know. As you and Jason, I went to school in Atlanta, so trying to get closer, um, closer to home, back toward up north was a couple of factors, and they had a program that could relocate me to D.C., which I'm still currently at today. Um, but yeah, I mean, money—it's funny, man. Like the concept of money evolves as you get older too, and 
you know, you kind of look back and the numbers at that time excited me then. But I think to Marcus's point, it really is irrelevant because it's not really a lot of money. You know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, I think to what y'all were talking about, if you could take some risk in your 20s, I don't know, 20 to 27, 28, you know, have no responsibilities and align yourself with your passion, the money will always come in the back end. So... I think that's a good point. Yeah, I took too many risks in my twenties. But <laughs> <laughs> Jason, you you decided to become a teacher, then coaching. Like, how 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 was that process for you in, in finding your passion? Um, mine was even. Uh, I mean, it was similar in this. I mean, I had a job uh, as an auditor. I had I had gotten a job um, with a J.P. Morgan branch um i hated auditing but the only connections i had at the time were from business because that's where i went I, that's what i went to school for at FAMU. so um i had been reaching out to people about getting a job and um i finally got a job and i had been working there for about four months and i hated every day of it i really never liked auditing to begin with um i hated the office i hated just the entire thing so um I went to um I went to um I went to see some high school basketball. Actually, uh Troy Holiday was coaching at the time. He was coaching like J V. And um and that just kind of sparked my interest of like coaching and he was teaching at the time too. He was a science teacher in Philly. And I would talk to him about it and I was envious of just like doing something that you actually cared about mm-hmm. and that you like had a passion for. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would love to do something that I, I could actually enjoy doing. So um, I actually left the job and I wasn't a teacher at first because I had never been trained as a teacher. I was a sub. So I, <laughs> I started substitute teaching and, and being a JV assistant coach. And the first day I fell in love with it. I, I didn't mind that I had to take a pay cut. Um, and, and like they said, you know, once you find your passion, you're going to work harder than you would work for anything else. So you'll be able to find the money. Um, and then, like, your quality of life is just so much better as well. So um, I, I don't regret that decision at all. It's the best decision I ever made. It, like, helped spark some things within me to just help me, you know, uh, with my personal life. Um, and and I'm obviously, you know, as a teacher and a coach, that, that, that's rewarding as well. But um, finding that passion is key. And anytime so, you can support and influence the youth, it's such a rewarding feeling. And I know Jason, you're doing that, and, and, and Marcus, you're doing that as well. Like, it's a great position, but I'm sure it's a rewarding feeling being that you know you have an impact on these kids' lives. And you know, I coached AAU, well, and just that three or four years. Being an uh, influence and having an impact on those kids, one of the best experiences that, I, that I've ever had, without a doubt. And you guys live it, so I, I'm, I'm jealous, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly uh, a great feeling, you know. Uh, it's, it's, our, it's, it's my why, right? It's the why, why I do what I do. You know, and I always say that in anything, you should start with your why. It's like, why do you want to do this? Why are you, like... You know, when I'm talking to young kids or talking to adults, like, what's your why? Like, you know, because if you can't answer that question, if you can't answer your why, then mm. what are you, what are you really, what are you really doing? And so, 
Like my why is to be able to impact these young men and women as 17, 18 year old wide-eyed freshmen and helping them grow academically, athletically, and socially and watching them leave as 22, 23, whatever, you know, men and women ready to tackle on the world. I want them to be able to say that I grew there. I, I got better. I, you know, I, I grew as an, as an, as an adult and I'm ready to go tackle the world. And so that's, that's really, really important, you know, understanding and knowing your why. Wow. And that's a good segue about why you do what you do. What do you do, brother? <laughs> so you're an associate athletic director. Did you have that title at Pittsburgh as well? Like, how did you grow? And then what was the transition going to UNLV? Right. So, uh, so I actually, you know, my title was actually senior associate athletic oh, director. Oh, you know, oh, I'm saying. <laughs> I, 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 my, I my bad. I'd have thought that my family. My, least, my bad. You know, but you, you wasn't know. senior at Pittsburgh, were you to start? Or I, were you? I actually no, not to start. Okay. I was before I before I left. So my last role <laughs> Okay, let's climb. Let's climb. What you got? <laughs> so I got it. Yeah. My last role before I left Pitt was senior associate athletic director also. So at UNLV, my title is senior associate athletic director and chief financial officer. So I'm the CFO of the athletic department and the time and talk that talk, event. baby. So, so my day to day is, you know, managing the kind of the fiscal affairs of the entire athletic department and the Thomas and Mack center, which is, uh, combined, you know, is about a $75 million budget. And so it's everything from, you know, football and basketball, your big sports. And, and then on the special event side, you know, NBA summer league and, uh, National Final Rodeo and Disney on Ice and uh, Monster Jam and Supercross and all these various different events. Mm. And so, uh, so that's my main day to day. I also uh, I oversee uh, HR, so all our human resources. Uh, I, over, I oversee that. I oversee equipment, and then I'm the um, the sport administrator or the direct uh, uh, administrator for our men's basketball team. And I'm in soccer teams, so. So there's certain yeah, sports that you're in charge of. Is just basketball and soccer, yeah. or is it is it Bas- softball yeah. Bas- too? A track? Yeah. So basketball and soccer are the main sports that I'm I'm in charge of. So I'm mean, obviously the athletic director is in charge of everything, and then what you have is sport administrators for every sport that you know kind of works more day to day with that coach on, you know, trying to achieve certain you know, goals and of, of their overall administration of their program. So, okay. you know, I work a lot closer with him on scheduling on, you know, who we're going to play next year, who we're going to play in a couple of years. I work a lot closer with him on, you know, academics and making sure that, they, you know, the kids is, uh, you know, doing what they're supposed to do academically. I'm also the one that he, you know, he'll call when there's an issue, you know, a kid got in trouble or we got a violation of team rules and we got to kick somebody off the team. So, all of those things, kind of the sport administrators work directly with, you know, those head coaches and assistant coaches on. But in my role as the CFO, I obviously work with I work with all of our teams because you know every every sport has a budget, right? So right. every sport, you know, has to manage you know some level of budget. So I certainly have a close working relationship with the softball coach and the women's soccer coach and volleyball and track and football and and all of those. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just as closely tied, not, not as intimately involved in 
all aspects of their program like I am with basketball and then soccer. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, day to day and then working on a lot of other special projects. One of the biggest things that we're doing right now is, you know, here in Las Vegas, you know, we're going to have a new, a brand new stadium uh, next year. The Raiders are moving here and, and, and we're also going to be playing in that stadium. So working really closely with the Raiders, working really closely with individuals at the stadium on getting prepared for that. So, yeah, we're staying, we're staying busy, man. Fortunately, we'll see what happens with uh, that Rona, but we're all staying busy. Right. And, and that's awesome. Like that's, that's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal position. I'm sure that you pour a lot of passion into that. So as a senior associate athletic director, is the next step athletic director? Is that typically the path? Yeah, that, I mean, that's 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 the path for me. You know, it, there's a kind of another layer, deputy deputy athletic director, um, which we don't have at, at UNLV, but you know, some places have that. Um, but no, I mean, there's a lot of people that have been able to kind of go from the senior associate athletic director role into an AD role, and uh, you know, I've gotten I've gotten calls about various different opportunities you know, over the last few years and, uh, you know, they, they haven't been the right one. And I'm, I'm enjoying, I enjoy UNLV. I enjoy who I work for. I enjoy who I work with. And really, you know, I'm just enjoying the process of learning every day. Like when I, when I was young and 22 and started off in the industry, like I was fixated on, I want to be an athletic director. Right. And it's, it's kind of information when I talk to young coaches, Mm-hmm. that are coming up in college basketball, college football, high school. Like, look, man, if I, I, we all got goals, right? We all want to be to the highest level. So that's being a head coach or being an AD or right. being a GM or whatever it is. But, like, you know, you what you got to do is you can't cheat the process. You got to enjoy trying to learn the process of getting better every day. And so I, it took me a while to, to learn that. I mean, I had to work for some people that kind of beat that into me a little bit. But... Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I mean, I, we all got so much more that I can learn. And and also, I, when I get my opportunity, I want to be ready. And I want to I want to succeed. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many, so many of us that we don't, we don't get those opportunities. And so when we do get it, you know, you have even that much more pressure to succeed because the person that you know is going to come behind you. But also, you want to position your own self to be in a position to succeed. So you don't want to just take any old job just because they give it to you. You also don't want to just take a job that you ain't ready for. So because mm. you might not, you might not get a second opportunity, as we all know. And and you've already proven that by not taking a job at the bank, you took the path that you wanted to take. But speaking of which, is a good segue. Candace Lee just got named the athletic director. First time in SEC history, black female. Did yeah. you know her? Do you have a relationship with her? I, I do. I know. I know. I know Candace uh, a little bit. I, I can't say that I know her well, but we we uh, we did a conference together uh, a little over a year and a half ago, and so I sent her a note after she got got the job and just congratulated her. She's an unbelievable person, man, and uh, mm. honestly, I'm so I'm so happy for her. Is that it was actually a good week for. Her. Uh, minorities in, in athletics. Uh, UCLA named their athletic director too, and his uh, his name is Martin Jarman. He's a brother that came from Boston College. Wow! Um, so I didn't even hear were, about these that. These were the two. Okay. Yeah, so these were the two biggest. These were the two biggest jobs that were out there: UCLA and Vanderbilt, and they both went to to minorities, and and uh, and they both went to great people and really, really good, 
administrators too. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like they both are going to do really well at, at their place. Right. Um, you know, but what, but what you'll hear those guys, you know, both of them will say that they understand that, that importance of, of that position and that role. I mean, obviously what they want to do is they want to do so great that the next person can come by and, or come after them and just be seen as a great athletic director versus, you know, as the great black AD, but they understand kind of that, you know, kind of that responsibility that you have when you, when you make it there, you know? In speaking of minorities in your field, in your, your profession, you had access, you were close to university of Pittsburgh athletic department you had relationships there that you could tap into for somebody that doesn't, is there anything you can recommend to that person? Say they're in a business school, communication Mm -hmm. school, whatever. What would you recommend they do while in school? That's going to get them that access to go into the sports world. If that's their passion. Right. So a couple of things that I would say, the first thing is, you know, do 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 your homework, do your research on kind of what the the sports business is. So if we're talking college athletics, understand what makes up a college athletic department and, and how they run. And obviously you won't know the ins and outs until you're actually in it, but you know, understand that it's more to it than just football and basketball. This next thing I would say is, you know, just reach out to people in that athletic department. One thing that like while you're there, while, while you're, you're there, there, while you're in school, while you're in school, even when you get out of school, but like while you're in school, reach out. One thing that's evident that I've learned now being on this side that maybe I didn't know as much on that side because you kind of like, ah, I don't want to hit this person up. I don't want to bother them. Mm. We all want to, we all want to help. Like we all want to help. Like there's nothing better than you guys could probably, you guys probably go through it in your own business, in your own firms. Like when somebody hits you up, you know, and, and say, Hey, I would love to like meet with you for 30 minutes and pick your brain on what you do, or, you know, have a, a phone conversation with you. We all want to be help. We all want to be helpful and help somebody. So don't be afraid to reach out to people and say, Hey, can I come by and meet with you for 30 minutes? And then after that, follow up, tell them, thank you, write them a nice note and then say, Hey, is there any volunteer opportunities? Are there any opportunities that I can do to, you know, get my foot in the door and, and, and meet the right people. And then, you know, once you get that, once somebody throws you the alley-oop, then it's on you to dunk it, obviously. You know, you got to take it from there. That's, but, that's a great know. point. Not to cut you off, but I did cut you nah. off. But <laughs> I wonder how much social media affects people's ability to communicate, these, this young generation. Yeah. Because people don't know how important that thank you email is. I don't know if they know how important it is to reach out and be proactive in this younger generation, like to physically pick up the phone and call or, 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 or create that email. I wonder how, how different it is for these kids because they're so used to 40 characters or less, you know, I I don't know, but just, it just came across my mind, but that was great. You're absolutely right. We're here People are here to help. Even if it's somebody that's new to my company and I can provide some Absolutely. assistance, I'm you never shying. Yeah, I'm never shying away from that. If I got time, right. then I'm going to help. And I'm sure Dante and Jason go through those same experiences. Absolutely. I mean, that was that's the best yeah. advice you should give somebody. You want to find out how to do something? Find out somebody. Find somebody who's doing it already, and you can, you know, 
we with myself being a teacher and a coach, had I asked some questions earlier enough, I would have like some real shortcuts. You know, I took the long way because I was just stubborn and wouldn't ask questions. Um, so it took me a lot longer to get to where I wanted to be. But find somebody who's doing it, and they'll give you. I mean, nine times out of ten, I never see people turning people down. Nope, I agree. Especially if you're willing to volunteer, you know. And Dante, you did that. You was what you did the Big Brothers program. Was it was that what it was? What you was doing? Yeah, we um, I, I did college bound. Uh, college bound. Yeah. College bound mentoring and 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 through that program, um, you know, some of the kids they kept in touch and, and you able to get them jobs. Whether it was with me, a few, a few through my network or whatever. But I think I think. Somebody mentioned it earlier. It's humbling to be on the other end for people reaching out and and always like recognize the initiative and the hustle because mm-hmm. it's a small percentage of kids today that have that. Um, you mentioned like the importance of thank you message and and just communicating. And a lot of the kids don't have that. I know like place I work for now. If you don't do a thank you message, you're done. Like you're off the list. They'll just they're putting, they're putting your resume in the trash, like small things like that. Right. Um, like the kids, the kids lose that art of communication. I think a lot because of, like you said, social media and technology today. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now we're going to move forward to present day, the coronavirus, (laughs) COVID-19. What's going on? And, Dante and I have a player recently had an article actually out in the Washington Post. I made him what he was. I'm the Zen master. That's what it is. But he's a junior right now. And he's gotten some offers from LaSalle. He's gotten offers from St. Francis, Towson, lower level mid-majors. But his hope was this year he was going to be able to showcase himself in the AAU world that he could get those additional looks. It happens a lot. And now he doesn't have that opportunity. You know, he's kind of stuck with those offers from LaSalle, which is probably his best offer. Jason, I think you know the coach there. Um, Towson and a few other mid-majors, but those are low-level mid-majors. What are, what are those players to do? And, and from a recruiting standpoint, Marcus, how are y'all dealing with this? And even you, Jason, you sending some kids to school. Like, how how is that mechanism today? Well, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's a different day and age, man. You know, obviously, a lot is being done virtually that, you know, was typically being done in, in person. Um, so I, I think that's allowed... You know, some some coaches and you know some staffs are probably uh, recalibrate and kind of reevaluate how they do things. And the cream always rises to the to, to the top. So you know, the, the schools that was good when they were doing visits in person, they're gonna be good when they're doing it virtually. Um, you know, what I say to anybody that's out there, young young man, uh, that trying to get looks, trying to get offers, is man, when you can ball like. They'll find you, and you know whether it's a Sal, a Towson, or whatever. All them, those is those is great schools and great opportunities, and I'm sure have great coaching staffs, and 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 you'll learn a lot there. So that you know, I would I never, 
I tell people don't ever get caught up in don't get caught up in the offer that you don't have. Be thankful for the offer that you do have. Mm. And don't, you know, don't look down on whatever that those looks are, whatever those, whatever those offers are. Um, because you, that still means you at least, you know what I'm saying? You getting looked at. D1. From, yeah. From those, it, it, any, absolutely. Any D1 school, but hold on, fam. Hold on. Hold on. And we've seen it before. Because in this article in the Washington Post, they talk about he's on the D.C. premiere, one of the, the better AAU teams out here in the DMV area anyway, where players took that opportunity their junior year going into their senior year, that summer, where they got lower-level offers and then they had a great summer and now they're getting Villanova offers. Now they're getting the Temple offers. Now they're getting the Pittsburgh offers in the, the bigger conferences. Like, that can that can catapult you. So that, you're that, saying... That that happens. I think that like what's happening right now is like coaches are recruiting kids without actually seeing them play in person. So they have to like watch video, film, those type of things, which is really difficult type of thing to do. Like you you want to see the kid in the flesh, you want to see the white in his eyes. You know, yep. coaches are watching layup lines, they're watching how the kids are interacting. So now they gotta watch just video. So what the coaches are now doing is for one, the transfer portal is going to go crazy because at least I know these kids have been tested at this level. As opposed to me taking a high school kid, I'll take another transfer, right? So transfers are going to go crazy. And then um, when, when it comes to the high schools, they're going to rely on those relationships. Guys who have been in the business for a long time. So those AAU directors and those coaches who've like been around and you trust their word, you got to kind of really rely on those relationships. So I'm sure that kid plays for DC Premier. His coaches are working the phones, you know, and they 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 have to be honest with the coaches. They got to mm. tell them, you know, okay. where they fall at because um, their reputation's on the line. Right. So it's a it's a weird space, but the transfers and the relationships are what's driving it right now. And a lot of college, a lot of high school kids are not getting those looks. So, well, I mean, we'll see how that plays out. But, um, you know, you could you could go to Townsend, and then, you know, in a year or two, you know, who knows? The way the transfer portal is now is over a thousand kids. It's, it's a weird situation. But I mean, out of those schools, St. Francis, Towson, and LaSalle, LaSalle is probably the best situation right Townsend's, now, right? Yeah, Towson's really good too. Oh, Towson is really good right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, not like the team. I mean, it's a good program. Good program. Yeah, yeah. For for where they're at. Okay. Yeah. But if y'all want to find out about this player, hit me up. I can send you some tape. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to see. If he, to me, he's the best player in Maryland. Dante, you know, I've always say, said that. Say his name. Listen, what's his Bez name? Bez and Bang, point guard, out of good counsel. Front page, front page of the book of the post, man. We seen it when he was 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, he he, he always had that. What's um, his profile? Six foot three point guard. What is what does he got? What six he one point guard with bunnies. He might get a few more inches on him. We'll see. But he's been actually um, he's been tutelaged by the great Tito Five Thousand. So I mean, that says enough. <laughs> All right. I, well, after you get done, Coach, with, you, with, with what you said, I got a question. <laughs> Go ahead. But um, I, I, it's a question really for probably for both Jason and Marcus. But is, just if 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 everyone's kind of focused on videotape 
maybe for Marcus, do you find like is the quality of videotape at the youth level better during like high school games, or are you focused more on like the AAU circuit? Because I'm thinking about you know resources and just the quality of footage. You know, kids in certain neighborhoods, I don't know what type of footage they or tape they have on themselves. So, do you spend a lot of time filtering through AAU, or how does that all work? Well, I'm not a coach, so I don't actually recruit. Um, so I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't answer that question from my from my perspective. I tell you that I think one of the points that was made earlier is that like there's nothing more, at least what I hear from coaches that are out there, there's nothing more important than actually seeing kids in person, and you know not just seeing how they play, but seeing how they are, how they cheer on their teammates from the bench, and mm. how they how they how they respond to. You know, to you know, when they don't get a foul called or major, do they get back on, major. Do they get back on def- yes. do they get back on defense? Like, these, I mean, these coaches, they watch all of that stuff, and you and you think that like, it, it, and it's the top of the top too. You know, it's the highest of the high coaches that are watching that stuff. So if you don't think that stuff is important, um, then young people are kidding themselves to this day. Uh, I can't really, unfortunately, sorry, bro, I can't really answer the question as it relates to like how the film looks and what's, what's better. I mean, I got to believe that in today's day and age, it's, you know, so much better now. And I mean, you can get really good film on, on a phone, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think that answered. Jason, you got anything to add to that? I mean, the film quality is pretty good at this point. Most, I mean, everybody is on huddle. You know, so all of those games are available. Most high schools tape every single game. All AAU teams use uh, some type of streaming service, whether it's ball or TV or something like that. Um, like, you know, like you just mentioned, um, you can get film off the phone. So um, these there's plenty of film available, and it's always really, really quality for the most part. But yeah, fam, if you need, if you need some tape on them, I sent him out to Vegas. I got another kid, Muhammad Torre. He's six six. I, I can't comment. Long. I can't comment on any specific kids. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm just saying. Just, if you need me to connect you with the people that need to be connected, let me know. Zen master. But <laughs> we're gonna move on because it's been a lot of different transitions in the college game. There's a lot yeah. of different things going on. Recently, we see the G League has this pathway program. And yeah. they've upped the ante. So they got this kid, Jalen Green, number one prospect, 2020. He's decided to take the bag. It used to be 125000 They upped the ante to half a million. Said they'll pay for his college tuition whenever he chooses to go. And he can get his endorsement money. Now kids don't necessarily have to go overseas for the next few years. Because from what I'm hearing, the NBA is going to let high school kids back into the draft. How are these things shaking up the college world? How do y'all adapt to the various programs and offerings and the movement we see uh Mellow Ball go out to the Australia and get two or three million. The kid Hampton yeah. did the same thing. Yeah. How yeah, do y'all I, I, counteract that? Like, what's the do you have conversations about that? 
Well, I mean, I think college college basketball, man, at the end of the day, college basketball is going to be okay no matter what, right? I mean, it has a has an unbelievable platform as it relates to TV and, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's the heartbeat of a lot of college campuses and students. And so college basketball is going to be fine. With that being said, I mean, you know, you always got to, you know, the only thing you know, you know, what's the age old saying? The only thing that's... Uh, uh, for sure in life has changed, right? So you know there's going to be change and you got to be able to adapt with the changes. I mean, I've all, personally, I've always been a believer that, you know, if a kid is good enough to go straight into professional sports, that, you know, let he or she go, you know? Right? Like, you shouldn't have to be in college, you know? You shouldn't just be in college just to play a sport if you don't really, really want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, you know, on the flip side, I think these young 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 guys need to be careful on these decisions that they're making, right? Let's talk about the whole, are you sacrificing some money right now over some long-term game? Because let's, let's, let's understand what the G league is like the G league, you know, those ain't second rate players. Like these are guys that was all stars in college. And these dudes is hungry, man. They trying to get to the NBA. Mm. Like they're trying to get overseas. So like, if some high-level high school prospect that's 18, 19 years old comes in and everybody's big up and, like, they going at home, homie, um, like, from day one. Like, they're like, oh, that's my, that's how I'm going to make my name right there. I'm going to go after that guy. So you so you just need to be careful on that. I'm certainly not saying that they can't be successful. No, I thought about um, that. It's no different than Jordan like, going to play in the minor leagues. Like, some of the people were spiteful around that. Like, oh, my God. Like, that was, that's, you know, that's, they like, oh, I'm making my name on yeah. this. And, but, like, when you go to college, you know, we've obviously seen freshmen can be, you know, a men amongst boys in college, you know, because at the end of the day, there's only so many elite, elite-level players in college. Like, I mean, everybody else at the end of the day, they're really good, but they all role players. And if you got that opportunity to go to the G League or whatever it is right out of high school, that means you're probably going to be elite in college from day one. Like, you're going to be a star as a freshman. And so are you better off going to college, making a name for yourself in college and, you know, making that, making, making your, uh, making a name for yourself. Yeah. Your brand bigger that way versus going off into them. You're not going to see these games in the G league. Like you're going to be on bus trips to, you know, to Des Moines and then to Roanoke. And I mean, like, so just, you know, just understand, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that, it shouldn't be a consideration and it doesn't work for everybody, but you know, the college, that college basketball life is a, is a good, is a good life. You know what I'm saying? And, right. And if you, if you elite, you know, you, your, 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 your opportunity is going to be right there in, in the span of, you know, eight to nine months. They're going to be, a, they're going to be waiting for you in New York to be called up on the stage. And that's, that's what's interesting about it because a lot of people would say Zion Coming into Duke, the other cat was a, a higher prospect. My man that went to the Knicks. What's his name? Barrett. R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett. He was a higher prospect. Duke allowed for a year-long commercial for Zion to heighten his status. That you're not going to get in a G League situation. Unless the NBA maybe changes some things and maybe broadcast those games on NBA TV. But even still, you're not going to get the same exposure and the same look. So it's a different situation 
where again what we talked about earlier about do you take the bag or you take the path that's best for you and that's what these players are going to have to have a conversation around and the G League I don't know I don't know even the kid my little boy he went out there to Australia took a few million that's a good bag to get but did he get the tutelage and you know certain things that I heard he never did the weave he never did a fucking weave and I think that's the first time I cursed so I apologize but he never did the weave come on like mm-hmm. basics. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, that you know, college is still definitely going to be, um, college is going to be fine. But I do think that if the NBA and the G League is starting to invest, you know, five hundred thousand dollars in a kid, they're not going to just invest that money just from the come there. They're going to also have, you know, games on primetime TV, or they're going to. They, it's not going to be the same format. Once they start putting that type of money in the players, I'm sure that they're going to invest a little bit more into marketing them, um, but college basketball is still college basketball, but it, it won't look the same way as it's been looking. Yeah. But at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, the NBA is going to allow high school kids to come back into the league in, in, in a few years anyway, right? That's what they say, but I don't know. It hasn't been passed yet. That's, that's That was the rumor at one point. Yeah, I just don't yeah. know why the G League would be investing in this the way they are if that's going to take place in a couple of years. I think LaMelo Ball had a lot to do with that. Guys like that. A lot to do with what? Like those type of decisions. When you start losing, you know, big time kids with huge followings to LaMelo, LaMelo Ball, like I don't really think he, he lost anything by going. He's He was really popular, you know, before that. Um, still really, really popular with young kids. They love him. I, I can't imagine how many Instagram followers he has, but he's a uh, really oh, yeah, popular he's kid. And he's, yeah. and he's projected to go like top three. So I think that when you let those type of things go away, uh, the NBA is like, you know, we could have paid him that at the G League and kept him here. So I think like those type of players influence those type of moves. In my right. And that's a small, I mean, you know, you you 100% right on LaMelo Ball. And at the end of the day, though, he's always going to be the exception, not the rule. You know what I mean? He's going to always, people like that always going to be outliers. Like, they had a, they obviously had a, you know, the family had a name and a brand from a couple years back. And so, um, you know, even the same thing with the young man that, you know, just recently said he's going to go there. I mean, he'll, he might not have the same type of cash, the same name, but he's an elite, elite of the elite. That's why I say that. Ultimately, college basketball is still going to be fine because you'll, you'll, yeah, you'll still have the meat of, of uh, other players still there. Yeah, so. I just miss the 90s, man. I miss the Big East <laughs> of the 90s, ACC of the 90s, but the Cats stayed there. We we grew up with them. We, we knew yes. Ray Allen from freshman to junior year. Right. You know, we knew the Leitners and the Webbers. It, it just... Totally different now with the one-and-done game. I think it's affected the college game, the brand that we watch today, but it'll be interesting to see once they go back to letting high school players in because previously we weren't in the social media world. Now we're in the social media world where a high school kid can have a million followers and think he's that dude Yeah, and get a rude awakening. So I think it's going to need to be even more education 
with these kids because with the social media world, they think they might be better than they are because everybody's hyping them up because there's so many views and follows like it's a different world. And I'm a little bit afraid that these kids are going to be led down the wrong path because I got a million followers. I'm that dude. Right. End up going down the wrong path. I think it's going to be a little different though. Um, you know, than, than how it was when we was growing up. I mean, you know, we'll see how things shake out over time, but you mentioned the G league. Um, we'll see what happens in, in college. There's a lot of news out there about, you know, potentially allowing college athletes to get endorsements, you know, in the next year or so. We'll see how that all shakes out. So I think there's going to be other alternatives for athletes to monetize if that's what they're looking to get um, in addition to, the, you know, playing, playing sports. So it's not just, oh, my only bag is to go to the NBA. And, if, you know, some of those, you know, we, we talked about the Lenny Cooks and other athletes that, it didn't work. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if people consider other options outside of just taking that huge jump into the NBA. Yeah, but tell you, people know, if if people know the story of Lenny Cook, everybody thinks that's not going to be them. Like, that's just how a young 20-year-old is going to think. 18-year-old is going to think. Like, I'm not him. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm yeah, just a little sure. bit afraid. I'm a little bit afraid with some of these kids. Yeah, we'll see. But now we're gonna we're gonna move on to because um, I wanted to get the perspective on the NFL's recent. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but you know the the Rooney Rule doesn't seem to be working within the NFL. Marcus, you talked about challenges minorities being elevated to the AD role or maybe some other roles. Like there's challenges there as well. Interested to know the group's opinion on what the NFL proposed as far as elevating a draft pick, a draft pick based on hiring minorities in an executive position in the front office. I've had mixed reviews doing it. I went back and forth on it myself. I'm going to start with you, Dante. Like, what did, what did you think when you heard the interval say, well, okay, we'll give you a better draft pick if you hire a minority to an executive position? What were your thoughts when you first heard that? I think, man, you kind of was, was, was trading text messages about it. It, it. My initial reaction was I didn't, I didn't like it. It felt like... It was it was diluting or, or minimalizing the purpose of what my, the Rooney Rule is about. It's about getting equal and fair opportunity for minorities. You know, I think somebody mentioned earlier the good old the Good Boy Network to you know kind of break to break that barrier. And to me, it, it just it didn't sit right with me for there to be, you know, and they call it an incentive. But I view it's a little bit of a bribery to get owners interested to give qualified individuals who don't look like them, you know, an opportunity. So I, I didn't, I didn't like it, and after I thought about it more, 
really didn't like it. You know, I think affirmative action is one thing, but when you throw a bunch of incentives like they talked about with the draft picks, I mean, just then it then it becomes more than just hiring a qualified individual. It's, it's about other things. So I just thought of some unintended consequences behind that. But is the opportunity not an opportunity? And I'm just going to say that. Jason, what did you think? Um, I really echo the same sentiments of Dante. Um, I didn't know how like, feasible this was. I'm like, you know, how can they really monitor that? I mean, or if you're saying that you have to hire the person for you to get the, the bump and draft pick, then it is kind of bribery. Um, so, it, I mean, I, I like, you know, trying to come up with different initiatives to to get more minorities in there, of course. But um, I just don't know how realistic that is. Um, so I was a little bit confused. I like to see it, like, you know, flushed out a little bit more. Marcus, did you did you know about that whole initiative? Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I mean, the only thing I'd add is that, I mean, the one thing I guess, I think we can sort of say about the Rooney rule is that, it probably does need some tweaking, though, right? Because, you know, some some about it ain't working. It, we not, it's not like we have more minority head coaches in the NFL. And I think that a lot of them will say, hey, I want to, I just need it. I just need a chance. I just need an opportunity. And an opportunity is more than just an interview. And I think probably, I would think that a lot of these coaches probably don't even, you know, they might get calls for certain interviews and they don't even take them because they probably saying like, they're not really giving me a chance at getting that job. And you get to the point where you don't want to be the guy that went on 10 interviews and you didn't get any jobs. Then they all, then they start looking at you as like something must be up with him. He might not be hireable. So I'm sure there are a lot of coaches that are maybe turning down job offers or job interviews. So I think that it needs some tweaking. I'm certainly not a huge fan of like incentivizing draft picks. Uh, So maybe there's some other ways that, they can get there by actually incentivizing those who actually hire somebody versus just interviewing people. Um, but it's a, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, as you guys mentioned, because to me, I'm not, it's more than just hiring that guy for the first time. I want to see, are you giving that guy a second chance or a third chance? Like some of these other coaches are getting. Mm. So like when they do fail, cause you know, we're all human and the likelihood sometimes when you get your first job, your first head coaching job, it's not always going to be a success. You, you should probably especially be if it's with the Cowboys, right? Okay, all right, okay. I mean, okay. I'm saying. I'm going there. How long do I think it's going to go there? <laughs> I mean, especially if it's going to be with wait. the Cowboys. Then, I mean, <laughs> wait, a, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are we? What are we talking about? Because you got to explain this. He's a Cowboys fan. He's a Cowboys fan. He I didn't make the playoffs, playoffs, but he's a Cowboys yeah. fan. You know. I'm a Cowboys fan. Shit. <laughs> What's up? Oh, we got all. You guys all. Oh, come on, come on. You guys all. You no, no, you got two Eagles fans and you got a Giants fan. All <laughs> NFC East, though. This is all NFC East. And we all hate you. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we got like red. Oh, we got the dead skins. We got the dead skins. No, nah, Giants and Eagles. Giants and Eagles. Oh, the Giants. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you should be in a conversation right now. <laughs> Yeah, he's just here. <laughs> he has no chance. Y'all have a chance. I will say that, but the Giants don't have a no chance. 
Yeah, the Giants got a little ways to go. They got some good young, young skill players. We'll see what happens. But real quick, Jason, let me ask you this, and we're gonna move on. Just what's your opinion, Dak Prescott or Danny Dimes? Who you taking? <laughs> I'm taking um, Dak Prescott. I'm, okay. I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge fan of Danny Dimes, to be honest. <laughs> okay, at least you're honest. At least you're honest. <laughs> but you know I did hear that the Rooney rule has been tweaked since they announced this whole incentive program that now you have to interview at least two minority candidates outside of the organization because what a lot of people were doing and the Eagles are guilty of this as well we'll just interview the black guy on the coaching staff and say we checked the box what the Eagles were doing with Deuce Stanley for years so they have at least tweaked that rule a little bit. That's good. But what I'll say I don't is, think you can. Yeah, go ahead. My fault too. I, I think they also said they you can't block assistants from from getting interviews. Now I think there was a process where you could block assistant coaches from interviews. They I think they stopped that now too, which is good. Oh, it's like Eric Bieniemy. The Chiefs could block him before. Now they can't block him from getting that interview if he wants it. Right, right. The existing current team, you know, it's like Andy Reid could block Eric Bieniemy from interviewing. You know, your team can't do that anymore. That's true. I just, I, don't know, that. I, just don't, I just don't know how thorough their interview process is. I mean, I feel like most of the coaches are already – they already know who they're going to get. So, like you said, it's kind of just like – they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. I don't know how the Giants hired this coach they got. He's like the special teams. Like Jesus what? Christ. Yeah, seriously. Like, you mean to we tell me you. you mean to tell me that like if Marv, Marvin Lewis went in there and interviewed or somebody like that could interview and they couldn't beat that guy out. But I will I mean, say Mike Tomlin got his job through the Rooney rule. They didn't expect to hire him and they just impressed him. That much. They gave him the job. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. But they are the Roonies and they invented the rule. So, I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, Rooney, the Roonies own the Steelers, so that kind of does work out. Marcus, you know the Roonies? Just curious. <laughs> you know, I, I, met, I, met, no, I, met, I met the Rooney family before. Uh, the late, late Mr. Rooney. Uh, and then Art Rooney, who, you know, runs the organization now. When I was in Pittsburgh, you know, I met, met them a few times. They would come to some they would come to some of our games since, you know, we shared the same stadium. I mean, it's just a first first class organization, you know, family and they always did right by by Pitt, by the University of Pittsburgh. I remember so. I came to the Pitt Temple game and they wouldn't let yeah. me in if I had the temple hoodie on. I had to take it off. <laughs> That's not true. It is true. It's not true. What happened was, I had you in the, I had you in the athletic director's suite, and you. Well, I couldn't come. Right, right. Well, I couldn't come into the suite <laughs> with the temple like, hoodie bro, on. I can't put you in the AD suite. I can't put you in there with my boss, and you got the temple hoodie on. And that's understood. But that's when right. I show. That's when I saw how much they love Marcus in Pittsburgh. You gonna be back? I already see it. I had the vision. You'll be back in Pittsburgh, athletic director. It's happening. All right. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'll take it. 
so be hard to get me out of this nice weather though. Oh, um, you know what? I, this was my year to come to summer league. This was yeah, my year. To come to summer league this year. Yeah. This was my year, and I'm mad because so. What's going on with the NBA? Have you had Have you had any talks? Have you heard? I hear they're, they're doing Orlando. I thought it was going to be two sites. What do you know about the the reentrance of the NBA? Honestly, man, I'm hearing pretty much what everybody else is hearing right now. Um, that Orlando is kind of the the leading place and kind of where they plan on taking all of the teams. I know that. You know, there have been talks with Las Vegas, and certainly Las Vegas, nowhere can host a, host a, whether it's a large gathering, a small gathering like the city of Las Vegas can. And I know that, you know, Vegas was certainly hoping to get involved in that. Um, but no, nah, I mean, I'm hearing everything everybody else is hearing that it's likely going to Orlando. And if it does, they still got so many hurdles to clear as it relates to you know, how many games they play before the playoffs, which teams actually go. Yeah, a lot of players, like know. Dame Lillard just came out and said he's not he's not with it if he doesn't have a chance to go for the title. Like, what's the point? And I get him. Right. Like, why? I, I do, too. I do, too. I think there's a – I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like, I mean, if you, you know, if you're outside of the playoffs, or if you're the, even if you're the eight or the nine seed, you know, you start to ask yourself, like, oh, what am I really getting – what am I really getting out of this? It's been such a long time since they played, particularly by the time they would play again. It'd a be long like, time. It'd be like four months. A like long a time. Season. And we had Willie Colley-Stein. We had Willie Colley-Stein on the podcast, and he said he ain't picked up a ball since. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> these, these guys aren't playing the way people may think. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it it could be some ugly basketball, and you're king, you're king. <laughs> Man, he might try to take advantage think, of this. I don't know. I I think everything is a conspiracy theory not to let LeBron get another championship. Man, I think that you know coronavirus. Cut it out. It's all taken away. Cut it out. <laughs> the whole coronavirus is just conspiracy against LeBron. That's what you're saying. Oh yeah, man. The man was already like <laughs> the year. The year LeBron go to not the year, but the second year LeBron go to the Lakers. The probably the most decorated Laker of all time passes away. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace to the great. You know, so you deal with that. As soon as it seems like they started to pick up from that, it's like. The world pandemic. As much so, as people think nah, I hate LeBron, he was the MVP this year, without a doubt. He was the best crazy, basketball player a, this year. It's been a crazy twenty twenty, man. You just want to wake up. And, oh my god! And the year just be over, man. It's just it's been tough. Crazy. But now well, we're gonna we go. Kobe, man, we lost Kobe. That in itself was already bad enough. I still can't believe it. I still yeah. struggle with it. I was watching the Muse today before the podcast. And I'm just like, Jesus, this, uh, I follow Vanessa. I don't, I didn't follow her before, but now she shows pictures of the baby taking the first steps. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Beautiful. I know. Well, now we're going to go into a segment. It's called the Who You Wit Segment. So, fam, in this segment, we pick 
who we're with based on the scenario. So okay. the first one, Fab Five versus the Tarkanian UNLV, the most influential cultural basketball team in college basketball history. Who you with? Oh, the Running Rebels, no doubt. <laughs> you don't. You really don't got no choice. <laughs> you really don't got no choice. That was the best. I think that that UNLV team was the best college basketball team ever. It was unbelievable. They did lose to, to Duke year two. The Fab Five, the, yeah, but they won the chap the, the year that they won that championship. They demolished Duke. And the Fab Five, they didn't actually win a championship. They so. didn't. That's true. Jason Dante, who you got? Let Dante go first. Man, I'm I'm. I'm I'm biased. So I'm a Larry Johnson guy, so I gotta. I'm probably gonna go. Probably gonna go UNLV. You going with the, with the plastic one. man? Yeah, Stacy Augman, Greg Anthony. Yeah, Ooh. you got you got Tark got Tark. That bite, team was tough. Fighting the towel. That team that was, was tough. Squad. That was a squad, boys. Yeah, that was a squad. I think that I always had a little bit more of an affection for the Fab Five. I think because I was getting a little bit older, I always liked Jalen Rose and and, and, and Chris Webber and uh, Jawan Howard. But if you say who is the best team, I'm definitely going to say UNLV. But my team, the team that I was closer to was the Fast Five. If they had to play for a national championship, who would have won the game? <laughs> oh, UNLV. UNLV. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that was a question. I thought you said yeah, which one that I liked. No, no, no. Who would have won? Oh, UNLV would win. But let me let me twist it a little bit. UNLV coached by Tark. Fat Five coached by Coach K. Who you with? Oh, I'm still UNLV all day. Yeah, I would still go UNLV. Mm. You making this unanimous, Dante? Nah, man. I think I I think I think you get a different Chris Webber. With, with Coach K, man, I might have to reverse and say Coach K, Coach K, Michigan. Mm. That would have been interesting, but if we're going straight up, I'm going with the Running Rebels, UNLV. You know, Larry Johnson was my man. We're not tucking in our jerseys. We're going at them. No tucking <laughs> in. So the next one, better college coach. Coach Cal or Jay Wright? Who are you with? Who's first? Jason, go ahead. What you got? I'm going with Cal. Coach Cal. Is that because you have some sort of allegiance to him? I've seen the pictures, <laughs> nigga. I've seen the pictures. <laughs> I mean, I had dinner with Jay Wright before, too, um, but... I I just go with Coach Cal. Um, I say, you know, lately Jay Wright has been the hottest coach probably in the country, you know, last, you know, five, six years, um, or 10 years for that matter. I don't know how many coaches have two, but if you want to just go longevity over career, I'm going to go uh, Coach Cal. I'm going with what I hear is Cal is a recruiter, not much of an X and O guy. That's what I hear. Fam, Marcus. Who you with? I'm gonna go with Cal too. Mm. I think uh, I think his ability not only to recruit elite guys, but also 
I don't think people understand how hard it is to have almost a different team every year. I mean, and I don't knock that from Jay Wright, you know, what he's been able to build and having some more consistency with teams. But, man, that's difficult, man. When you're replacing pretty much five, seven guys a year, are you still winning at the highest level? I don't think that, that's, that's tough, man. Mm. So I'm going to go with Cal mm. slightly. Dante, did Jay Wright do more with less? Who you with? Hey, you knew you must have read my mind because that's exactly what I was going to leave with. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Jay Wright for that reason. Um, I mean, Cal has the top recruits, but I mean, Jay Wright beat Roy Williams with less. I think he's the better coach. He did. I think Jay Wright is a better coach. Personally, I think Cal does a great job of recruiting. He gets the top classes. I think Jay Wright doesn't necessarily get the top class year in and year out. And he's always there. And he's won. I would love the Sixers to get him. No, there's a thing about Kyle that we got to keep in mind. So even with the Fab Five versus UNLV thing, like UNLV, those guys are all seniors. Larry Johnson... Stacy Well, no, the so year they, they won it, they were juniors, right? When they yeah, beat never. when they beat Duke and demolished them, they weren't they weren't seniors that year. Right, I think that was the case. Okay, yeah. So, okay, so they were juniors and seniors. So the Fab Five, all freshmen and sophomores, right? They imagine them playing as juniors and seniors. Imagine Chris Webber playing as a senior in high. I mean, in college. So that's true. I mean, so that like with Villanova, you know, they recruit the right guys and they get to play a lot of seniors. You know what I'm saying? Archie Diakon, he was a senior. Uh, they had a bunch of seniors out there. Um, so it's a little bit different when you're coaching 18 and 19 year olds versus 21, 22 year olds. A little bit different. No, no you, that's a fact. That's a fact. But I think Jay Wright. I think him and Cal is, have that mafioso personality. They kind of on par with one each other, one another. And I think Jay Wright's done more with less. As far as X and O's, as far as you know, he recruits heavy out of Maryland. You know, place that I was involved in, and I think, I think he's done more with less. I always heard Cal is not the best X and O guy. He's inspirational. He can recruit. We're talking about coaching. And he can be out-coached. And he can be out-coached if we're not here. I think Cal um, gets a lot of bad raps because uh, he does get all that talent. And he does send a lot of kids to the league. So people do, you know, they throw some shots at him. But there's no way that man been at this level of college basketball. You think that he can't do X's and O's? That man won. That man has won everywhere he's been. Right, he he knows X's and O's. And then when a UMass Providence, like he wanted everywhere. When John Chaney was going to choke his ass out, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, UMass. That's a fact. That's right. That was great. But fam, and that's why I love my cousin because he hooked me up with the CEO of my company. This is why this guy, this guy is major. If y'all don't know. <laughs> I was working at CDW. He hooked up a meeting with my CEO of the company at the hotel in D.C. during the tournament with his wife. 
and his right hand man, who was Coach Cal's right hand man. You remember that? I do. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember that. He was like, that's why I said mafioso. We we just gonna say that. We ain't gonna say no more. We just gonna say that. Yeah. Next one. Better college basketball movie. Glory Road or Blue Chips? Who you with? Ooh. I'm going Blue Chips. Blue Chips. Penny, one of my favorite players ever. It just, you know, it it, it talked about, you know, the recruiting aspects, the gambling out aspects, um, you know, all the different booster aspects taught me a lot. I, I thought it was a, a great movie. Yeah, I'm going to go with Blue Chips also, man. It's just it's more, I don't know, when you look back at it, look back on it, it feels like it was more for the culture. You know? So I'm, I'm going to go with Blue Chips. That movie was actually on, like, last week I was flipping through the channels. Come on, on fam. More for the culture. Glory Road was the first black team to win a national championship with a black starting five going up against Kentucky. Right, so me, I, I'm just right, saying. So let me, let me take that back. What Glory Road did was more for the culture. The actual, well, I guess maybe what I would say is actually the movie and the feel of the movie in terms of like Blue Chips in the 90s felt more like a 90s movie, but my bad. The actual story is not even close. Like the, the, the story Exactly, exactly. It's not even, that, that, was, that was a bad, that was a bad uh, reference. <laughs> so let me clear, let me make sure I clarify that. Indeed, indeed. I, <laughs> Dr. I'm let you go, but I, I think Glory Road is a better movie. And a better story. Yeah. And I I damn near cried at at the Glory Road. I'm not gonna lie. The Glory Road to me, and we had a whole movie, a sports movie podcast, and we made some mistakes. <laughs> and I, I I said that on previous episodes. Above the rim is not better than white men can't jump. We said it at the time and we had to we had no, to think no, about no, it. No, no, we didn't. It's not better. We didn't say it. <laughs> me and Ron said it and we were wrong thank you y'all said that above the rim and I, I, I was I was gonna watch that episode I ain't gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back and watch it watch it watch but it but hold on y'all had above the rim over white man can't jump we it's did sad. we did oh, it moved solid. on over white man can't jump and I I apologized for it that's a that's a travesty <laughs> I almost quit the show. I almost quit. You should have quit, bro. You should have. You should have quit. Now, let's not act like it's that far apart. A uh, good point. Uh, Butter Rim is is a classic. Time, know, it's a classic. They can't take away. They can't take away what we had. But I'm just saying, white <laughs> man can't jump. Like that's a movie that you know, like all of the one liners from. Like, you can right. probably right. you can probably recite like. 51 liners from White Man Can't Jump. And then we actually right. had Above the Realm beating um, Friday Night Lights. And fam, you know, Lee Thompson Young is my cousin. And he yeah. was a running back yeah. in the movie. And we yeah. shouldn't have done that either. Friday Night Lights is better than... We shouldn't have had Above the Realm winning the championship. Yeah. And I had to recognize that in hindsight. I can recognize my mistakes. Good. <laughs> but I will say I, I will say Ever. 
I think that Glory Road is a better movie than Blue Chips. Blue Chips had the more cultural impact as far as today's cultural impact. Yeah. But Glory Road is a better story. It was it was a better movie to me. But certainly a much better script. Um, a better right. storyline. But so oh, alright. Man, you might have convinced me. Alright, Glory Road. No, I get that. I get that. I agree with that part of it. I just like, you know, Blue Chips would just resonate a little bit more. At the time. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I... I, I didn't officially answer, but I would say Blue Chips, just to keep it going. But um, Glory Rose didn't have, a, didn't have that coach kicking kicking basketballs and getting technicals, man. I still remember Blue Chips um, scenes like that. So it was a more memorable movie, but a better storyline, like y'all said. Glory Rose. Last one. This this one kind of pissed me off. So we had to do this. This is the NCAA segment for the Who You With. I was a little bit mad at ESPN trying to say that Michael Jordan was the greatest college player of all time. This is ridiculous. So I'm going to ask the group. Michael Jordan or Christian Leitner. Better college basketball career. Who You With. <laughs> y'all want y'all and Marcus, we're gonna start with you on this one. Who you with? Man. I'm just talking sheer college basketball. You probably gotta sheer go college. You probably, you probably gotta go with Christian later. There you was go. He two, was he was he two time national player of the year? Two times. Yeah. He went to three, three final fours. Final fours. Two yeah. championships. Yeah. I mean, come yeah, on. College. Yeah. That's, that's that's hard to that's hard to that's hard to bet against that one. He competing up there. His I mean his career, really, if you really think about it, competes up there with the top of the with top. anybody. Christian yeah. Leighton was arguably the greatest basketball player in college history. Arguably. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. lead the witness. But Jason, mm-hmm. who you got? I mean, if you want to go by the accolades and those things, I mean, I guess he had a better career with accolades and being, you know, Final Fours and those type of things. But Michael Jordan was still a better basketball player than him. Based on what? Skill set. Based on the documentary that you just saw? Is that that what you're going off of? (laughs) No, skill set. So, like, I mean, Jordan was... I mean, I guess I don't think that even though Christian Leitner was accomplished, I don't think that people projected him to come into the league and dominate the NBA. But it's all about what happened in that moment. We can't talk about what happened that, what happened after. We can't talk about They were both number three picks in the draft. We can't talk about what happened after. Christian Leitner was a better college basketball player than Michael Jordan. But out of doubt. That's all I got on Christian Leighton. You, you, are you Brand Jordan or something? You seem to love to protect Mr. Michael Jordan. And we're going to get into I've that. Never, and we're going to get into I've that. I've never protected Michael Jordan. Now you got the wrong person. You're confused. Dante, who you got? Yeah, I mean, the more decorated player in college is Christian Leighton. Um But Jordan, Jordan wasn't no slouch, though. No, of course you not. You know what I mean? 
you definitely, definitely, definitely want no slouch in, in, in college for sure. Um, yeah, I guess it is Christian Lakeman. I'm gonna give Grant Hill honorable mention though, because I'm a hater. But Christian was better but than, yeah, than Grant. Right. I mean, he, we're just talking college basketball. Christian Leitner is arguably the best college basketball player of all time. People don't want to admit that, but it's the truth. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. And I'm mad at ESPN for the BS that they did with that. Saying that Michael Jordan is the greatest. If you really want to talk about it, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, three national championships, changed the rules. You can't yeah, argue. The best player all time. Right. Like, you the can't argue that Michael Jordan is better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And any, you could argue Kareem was better NBA player, but we're not going to go there. We just about college. It's not even close, Kareem versus Michael. But Michael seems to have a hold on ESPN. <laughs> like, he, he then said, if you want this documentary, you're going to have to name me the best ever in everything, or you ain't going to get it. <laughs> and that's what we're about to get into here. Because what we found out this week... We've been hearing it for years that Michael Jordan stopped Isaiah Thomas from being a part of the Dream Team. He denied it for years. He denied it on the last dance. This week, we got audio. This week, we got audio of Michael saying he wouldn't play if Isaiah was a part of the team. We called him red-handed. Lies. <laughs> Lies. Now, we knew Michael lied, unless you were a Michael apologist. But this is something that we called him red-handed. Does this make you look at Michael any different now that we called him red-handed, saying he didn't want Zeke on the team? And I don't understand all this hate for Zeke. It's ridiculous. One of the greatest point guards of all time. If you're talking about a mentality to win, why does Michael get celebrated and Zeke get vilified? I, I don't understand. But knowing that there's audio out there of Michael now saying he didn't want Zeke on the team or he wasn't going to play, whatever. Everybody likes to say, oh, Michael said it, then it's the truth. Now we know that's not that's not the deal. Marcus, let me ask you, did the last dance change your mind on Michael? And this recent news coming out of him blocking Zeke after he said he didn't, does it change anything for you? Well, first, did he say that he didn't block Zeke or did he say that he wasn't the only reason why Zeke wasn't on the team? Right. Rod Thorne I, called him and he said, I'm not playing if Isaiah's on the team. That's the audio. I, I sent it no, to I you. Know, I heard the audio and, and I, I think that we all had somewhere heard that that was what had happened. Because that, that Dream Team documentary that they had also, Rod Thorne, he, he was clear that he started with Mike. And Mike asked him who was going to be on the team. So it was speculation that there was something that went down as related to Isaiah. I just thought that Mike in the documentary said everybody is solely blaming him as the reason that Isaiah wasn't on the team. 
but that wasn't the case. He thought that there was other individuals that didn't want him on the team also. Hold now, on, Ram. Did he not say on the last dance, Isaiah's name never came up? Did he not just say that? Uh, we can't be a Michael Jordan apologist here. He said... <laughs> he did might have said that. He, he said... <laughs> He said no specific. He did. He said no specific player. He said no specific player. Exactly. Yeah. He said he, he said he specifically asked Rod Thorne who's on the team, and Rod Thorne basically said, or he said who's playing, and then Rod Thorne said the guy you're worried about's not on the team. Insinuating that it was Isaiah, but now we hear that it was actually Isaiah's name was mentioned. <laughs> So everybody likes to talk about, oh, he debunked the things about his father, or he debunked anything about the. Game. That was the problem I had with the documentary. It was one sided. Yeah. He oh, threw yeah. a lot of it people really, under the bus. Yeah, it wasn't really a documentary. It was a biography. I mean, he had he had the uh, he had the full authority. Yeah, right. it was a Michael but Jordan you know, celebration, yeah. I mean, I'm a, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not that mad about it. But it wasn't the real. I'm a Mike. I'm a Mike guy. So I'm a Mike. You know, Mike. Mike is always my, always been, always will be my number one. Uh, the only thing I say I was disappointed in him was like, come on, Mike. You had like twenty. What you had like twenty five, thirty years to prepare your answer on why you weren't more socially active in the nineties. Mm. That was all he said. Like that was probably the only thing I was like, come on, Mike. Yeah, like you could at least kind of say like, hey, man. Looking back on it, I wish I probably would have did some things differently. Mm. Right. Mike, but Mike was still Mike still holding strong. Like, what's one thing you got to respect about him? He's just still holding strong. He's like, look, I was focused on being the best basketball player, and if it didn't, if it, if it wasn't in that realm of being the best basketball player, then I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. But that that part that, that part probably stung a little bit. Yeah. You know, especially especially in today's day and age, but. And Jason, I know you had a lot to say about that. Anything yeah, for you... sure. I mean, I thought that was, I, I mean, at that point, you know, he had an opportunity to just tell people, listen, you know, I made a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I had to do it again, I would have did some research. I would have been, you know, I wouldn't have, like, just try to be politically correct and all that. Or not even politically correct. I would have not shied away from it. I would have stepped up and done some things so that other people can see oh yeah he made mistakes but you can correct your mistakes you know you can do that but he just made it like he made no mistakes even now to this thing about him lying like like you said you didn't want Isaiah on the team like they just try to get the semantics about did he say it or did he say somebody else called him like he tried to say that he had nothing to do with Isaiah not being on the team then we hear him saying it like just, you know, kind of keep it real, man. It's not that deep. That's what a documentary is for, though. Like, that's what we want to hear. Like, I would have respected it way more if he would have came out and said, yeah, I didn't want Isaiah on the team because the way they treated us getting to the top. So I wanted to block him from having that moment. I would have been like, yo, Mike is that dude. Like, Mike said, fuck all that. I don't want Isaiah to have that moment because of how it... It affected me in the trials and tribulations it took me to get to the top. But it totally respected that. But for you to lie I mean, about it, it's just... Right. 
I didn't like I that. I thought even like, like you know how when Gary Payton was saying, you know, he wore him down. I understand why Mike's not giving him that. Like, you didn't wear me down. You can't do nothing with me. I get that. You don't have to give Gary Payton nothing. But the political part is like, you clearly made a mistake. Your mom reached out to you about doing this. And you still <laughs> ignored it. Just acknowledge it was a mistake and then move on. But he, he didn't want to do that. Can't do it. And th- those are the things that I have a problem with. And this is a good segue as we're going to wrap, wrap this up. But I've had discussions with everybody here, mostly Jason and Dante, about the p- political aspects of what's going on today. And I'm a little bit disturbed by the current athletes not taking a true stance and using their power. Uh, There's a lot going on right now, and it's disheartening, not only with the current administration, but with what happened recently in Minnesota, what happened recently in Georgia. It's it, it, we be, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about this and make a, a, a brief comment about it. As a black man, it's difficult to watch these things day in and day out. Now, a lot of people like to say this isn't nothing new; it's just being caught on tape. I don't I don't subscribe to that. I think that it's gotten worse, mainly because. And if you look historically, the uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Nation of Islam used to have debates with the Klan because they both believed the same thing. This is a bit of a history lesson for those that don't know. They all were separatists, so they actually agreed on a lot of things. So they would get together and have debates. And they actually agreed on a lot of things. And what the Klan said at the time was, we're going to defeat you and take over by inserting our people in law enforcement and as judges. This was a plan of action. So for people who think that this is new or it's worse now, this was a plan that has now materialized, in my opinion. That we saw from that video in Minnesota, that was a clear-cut murder. There was there was nothing else that leads me to believe that was anything otherwise. That that police officer is being celebrated right now by a certain group. Wow. And it's disheartening and, and we have to touch on it because there's a lot of people that say people are posting about it and they're not doing nothing. And I understand both sides you want to post about it because you have displaced anger and you want to be able to express yourself understood but we can't continue to just post about it we can't we have to take some sort of action I think everybody here has taken some sort of action when we're talking about being involved in the youth Development and being involved in the youth's life and being an influence, whether it's coaching, whether it's from athletic direction and, and being involved in those kids coming to that university and, and, and directing them towards the right path. And, and, and there's things that people can do within their own community. You can start a nonprofit to try to bridge the gap between 
the community and police officers. You can join a, a city council and have a connection in your local government. There's certain, certain things that you can do. Besides posting and think that I've done my job. And I understand people that do that, but if you really are frustrated and unhappy with what's going on, there's things that you can do to try to make a difference. Posting about it is one way to get that frustration out. I understand that. But what change is that really making with what's going on? We have to be able to use that energy proactively and responsibly and say, I'm going to make a difference within my community. You can't change the world. You can't change what's going on in Minnesota if you live in South Carolina. You can't change the world in Minnesota if you're living in Las Vegas, Philadelphia, or Maryland. But you can get involved in your community. And you can do some of these things. And the debates that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad would have with the Klan, with the Klan would say, we're going to entrench ourselves in law enforcement and into the local government. And I think we're seeing that come to fruition. And what we've done is make becoming a police officer so uncool that we can't even police our own communities anymore. We have other people from other backgrounds with other intentions policing our communities. And if you feel you're at war at something, you have to have a general and you have to have a plan to counteract that. And we don't have that today. So people are upset. And I understand that. But what we're going to have to do is come up with a plan as a community and have some leadership. Or we're going to continue to find ourselves in the same position. It can't be cool for a black man to become a cop. It can't be uncool. Like that that has to be something that we actually promote and have programs around. For him to be able to police his community, understand those people within that community. Or we're going to find ourselves in the same position. To watch that video and that man cry for his mother was the most heartbreaking thing that I've seen in years. Uh-huh. His mother wasn't around. She wasn't around. And if that doesn't affect you as a black person, as a white person, as a Korean person, whatever, then you, you, you're just not human. And I had to touch on that because that's what we're dealing with. And we've had conversations about this amongst the group. And I would like to see the athletes get involved and say, we're not going to play in Minnesota anymore if y'all going to allow for this. We're not going to play in Georgia anymore if y'all are going to allow for this. The athletes have the power. We've seen this in Missouri. The University of Missouri said we're not going to play unless the president is fired. They fired him that week. Because they would have lost millions of dollars if that team were getting on the field. Why can't we replicate this? We've seen what works. And I went on a diatribe. And we can end this out. But anybody has anything to add to this, feel free. I just say, well said, fam. 
Appreciate that. Great everything, yeah. man. <clears throat> no, I think, I think, I think everything is tied somehow to like. I mean, there's companies run on, countries run on capitalism. So I think any organized effort that is comprehensive that can hurt a state's economy, um, I think that'll cause change and cause impact. I, I I don't know what that plan is. I think it's bigger than athletics and i think that's one piece of it where you could you know there's somewhere to start somewhere to start because we've seen that model work that's all i'm that's all i'm saying yeah yeah yeah, no and i wasn't i'm saying i think it's it's that's a good step but it's probably um you know it's a larger it's, it's 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 you know impacting multiple industries that are drivers for minnesota and figuring out how to kind of cut that off to get people's attention. I mean, that's how this country is, was built. That kind of how it runs. And people respond when it hurts their finances. There it is. So either they don't know, and we gonna make this, we gonna make this as real it was in the movies. Typically we say in the huddle. But either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. We'll see y'all next time.